This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. episode 407 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Jekyll beating SC Freiburg 5-1 with one of the best first half performances of the season and Heights disappointing DFB Pokal loss against FC St. Pauli, a performance sporting director Michel Zorc described as anemic. Will it be Jekyll or will it be Hyde showing up in Hoffenheim? For all that and more joins me last point to discuss this great yet terrible week of Borussia Dortmund football. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm currently mostly confused as to how one would describe the week as great. <laughs> I Well, not only great, I also described it as terrible. Sort of. I mean, yeah, uh, but yeah wh whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a difficult episode. I, I just know it because no one wants to talk about this cup exit. But uh, what I do want to talk about is that we do have a sponsor for this episode. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Justin Pasquale, who is giving a shout out to his friend Sean Gerhard. So that's very sweet. And a shout out from us too to Sean. Uh, thank you very much, you two, for listening. And uh, if you want to sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash for more information. And uh, now, Lars, it is time for us to... I guess first put our focus on the better things. Borussia Dortmund did beat SA Freiburg 5-1, and as I previously mentioned, at least for me, it was the best first half of the season. What uh, are you making of this uh, yeah, match where I think Thomas Meunier said afterwards to uh, my good friend Archie Rintut, we were just the team that everyone expects every week tonight. Yeah, I mean, I would agree first half probably the best 45 minutes this team has shown all season or under Marco Rose in effect um, totally dominant uh, I mean Freiburg obviously aren't slouches they had the best defensive record away from home going into this game and Dortmund put five past them so uh, I mean I don't know that we necessarily need to spend too much time with the Freiburg game because A it's been almost a week and I've forgotten everything but Meunier scoring two-headed <laughs> goals uh, and B, uh, the cup exit kind of mars any positive developments we've seen previously. So obviously a very strong performance against Freiburg from a lot of individual performance as well. I think uh, Dahoud was far and away the best among very good players, if that makes sense. Uh, Meunier obviously scoring a brace, which he also said was a miracle, I think. Um, Brandt providing two assists for him. Holland breaking his scoring drought, the, the, the long wait over after <laughs> two, what games. Is it, two games. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, as I said, everything positive we can say about the Freiburg game, you can also uh, almost turn it into a negative when thinking about Hoff uh, the, the, the cup game against St. Pauli. So uh, me being... A negative force in the world, as as usual. Uh, I Only the to number two, according about. to Reddit on Dortmund Twitter, though, behind me, yours truly, number one negative Twitter person of the year, Stefan Butzko. <laughs> I mean, an award is an award, and if there's an award to be won, I want to win it, so I'm, <laughs> I'm angry at that as well. Yeah, Lars, uh, way to come short, just like Dortmund. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, what I really liked about the Freiburg game, because I, you know, there were good things we should talk about, so then we can juxtapose it with uh, the shit show that ensued, is, for example, uh, dumb giveaways were not a thing in the first half. Dortmund, for example, really snuffed out Freiburg's pressing triggers to isolate Meunier on the right side. Didn't quite happen in the build-up. I thought that Dortmund were very patient and took very good care of the ball, uh, which I really like because the uh, moments where they just get sucker punch on the counter attacks just weren't there for Freiburg. And um, 
you know, it's a little bit on Christian Streich too, uh, the way this uh, game happened, because I think uh, over time, after always trying to, you know, be proactive against Dortmund, he is now very reactive, and uh, Dortmund, I think, this time capitalized, uh, especially in the first half. Uh, obviously, Dortmund are a bit lucky that they did score from corner kicks, and, uh, you know, that obviously does not happen all the time, but it's still a positive thing, because set pieces were trained, throughout the week because of Freiburg's set-piece threat and then to, you know, turn it around and score two on them is really nice. Obviously, with a caveat that both Schlotterbecks, for example, were out. So Freiburg were at least missing one of their best centre-backs, who is uh, very important also for their set-piece offence and defence. Um, nevertheless, that is positive. Also very positive is the counter-pressing worked really well. I think the way Höhler lost the ball, he sort of got swept up in a yellow wave, uh, was uh, really great before Haaland scored the third. I think it was Bellingham who, uh, yeah, in the end took the ball away and then uh, played a nice through ball. So um, that was a really great goal. Also, Dahoud's other ball that he won and passed to Haaland was a nice one. And then, of course, you get a Nico Schulz assist for Dahoud in, in garbage time where there wasn't any pressure anymore. But still nice. We'll take it. It was... Uh, all around great Friday because then you can just sit on the couch and, uh, you know, watch the other teams uh, drop points uh, around you and uh, sort of happens. I mean, Hoffenheim, our next opponent, for example, lost to Union Berlin. I think for, from the Bundesliga side, that was really positive and uh, you would say, wow, there are mistakes they committed against Frankfurt and they cut them out and showed one of the best performances ever. And uh, I think the, the focus was there uh, for a very long period of time. Obviously, the second half wasn't as good as the first half, also because Freiburg subbed on uh, Kevin Schader, I think is his name, who was uh, really uh, dynamic. And uh, yeah, Demirovic also scored then. I think there's a little mistake in positioning from Mr. Akanji, who got subbed in for John at halftime. Um, but overall, very positive. Dortmund did react after Freiburg got back into the match. And, uh, you know, in the end, nobody really had to worry about it. And I think this is really what makes the uh, then performance against uh, San Pauli so infuriating. Because, Lars, you know, just as well as I do, this is really nothing new uh, to, to see Dortmund this two-faced, which is why I sat with Jekyll and Hyde a little bit at the beginning and uh well first of all before we talk about the game and maybe maybe it's a bit of a metaphor for Dortmund itself but uh when the players walked onto the field and you had hell's bells from ACDC ringing and then it was interrupted by whatever this misguided DFB Pokal melody is to me that's a violation so that's just I'm gonna lay this out there and uh I don't know Lars you can then take it from from there I guess with musical opinions or <laughs> whatever whatever you feel like starting with i mean i think we could spend hours and hours debating just how awful this performance was but i think at the end of the day it makes more sense to just be short quick and brutal about our analysis and i would say that my main criticism is a certain sense of arrogance that I uh, got watching the game. I never at, at, at no point during these 90 minutes had the impression that Dortmund took San Pauli seriously, even after going down four minutes into the game, uh, going down 2-0 after, I think, 40 minutes through Witzel's own goal. Um, there was never really a, a sense of urgency in anything Dortmund did, even after basically being handed the goal to make it uh, two one on a silver platter with a handball penalty, which obviously was a penalty, but still quite lucky to uh, have the ball in that situation, if you like. Um, even then, I mean, did did you feel like Dortmund were suddenly on the uh, cusp of making a comeback? I mean, did they even have one major chance after that? I don't remember. So. I just feel that they completely threw away in 
inexcusable fashion uh, the most realistic chance at the title they have every season and especially this year with Bayern having already been eliminated I think it's as I said completely inexcusable and uh, to uh, go into San Pauli which uh, yeah I mean they play a fantastic game but they're still uh, and they're league leaders in the second division so obviously they it's, it's usually harder to play teams from the upper echelons of the second division as opposed to teams fighting relegations from the first division but still if you're Dortmund and running up to uh, San Pauli you expect to win especially given that San Pauli uh, like three or four days before uh, only drew against second to last Erzgebirge Aue uh, in, the, in the second division thanks to Amin Yidu scoring in stoppage time uh, I mean it's not like San Pauli are on an incredible run of form uh, second division also had one more week of a winter break so it's also kind of questionable how much rhythm they had going into this game when Dortmund had already had the two wins against Frankfurt and Freiburg uh, yeah I mean I, I was kind of surprised and I think you said something similar at, at just how angry this made me because A we all know that this is who Dortmund are one step forward two steps back uh, all the time especially this season it feels like uh, and, and and B, uh, we we all kind of feel, or at least I can definitely say for myself, and I think I speak for you as well, that, you know, there's a bit of a disconnect uh, these days from, from, you know, being journalists, uh, not being able to witness it firsthand, you know, no fans in the stadium, football kind of feels like it's in a, in a, postmodern, uh, if you like, uh, state or whatever. So I was surprised at how angry this made me. Uh, and, and at the same time, I was not surprised whatsoever that Dortmund absolutely crept the bed. Yeah. And the thing is, you really just go back to the absolute basic questions. What does it mean to play for Borussia Dortmund? Where is the passion in this team? Where is the will to give you all for your club? Where is the team spirit? Where is the determination to bring home another trophy to Dortmund? These are the questions I have coming out of this game, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are obviously other questions you can ask, but these are sort of my main questions. Is how do you manage to be this bleak as, a, as an entire unit? And I, you know, the, the discrepancy there between San Pauli, who were, and you know, all credit to them who were on it for 90 minutes from the first whistle to the final whistle. Zampauli A, believed in themselves, B, helped each other out on the field, C, know what they were capable of and knew what they were not capable of. And also they were switched on. As I said before, they were there for the entire game. There was not a 10-minute period where St. Pauli were just, you know, caught napping and just resting on a tune on laurels. No, was not there. And this, to me, is, is what's so infuriating, because how many times do we see Dortmund in any game be switched on for this long, for 90 minutes? There's always, like, a 10-minute nap, and oops, you know, we uh, we, we just took our foot off the grass, uh, gas, we we uh, <laughs> we lost our focus. And I'm... I'm a bit envious and jealous that some Pauli fans got to witness such a performance from their team, which is obviously awesome for them. And uh, it's kind of sad uh, that it wasn't a full stadium for, for them to witness this. But Jesus Christ, uh, when... And that's my question because I feel like it hasn't happened in years. And uh, I think Rose said this much after the game that, uh, you know, this Dortmund were victims of their own cliches, basically, and cliches that have been around for, for months, years, whatever, is when will this team become a, a, a unit again that's that's fighting with spirit and where you can have the measuring stick, the Borussia Dortmund measuring stick is, did you give your all, can you, after the game, look into the mirror and say, I left it all out there? You know, that's all I'm asking for. You know, mistakes can happen, you can screw up. You can screw up a cup game as, against a second division team, which is is hard to do. But it, it still can happen. You can be super unlucky. But this was not down to being unlucky in my book. That was just down to, as you said, being arrogant. You know, thinking, oh well, over time we'll 
will, I don't know, tired them out and uh, eventually we will score. But no, you know, if, if you think about the final 15 minutes or so, they, they, there was nothing, you know, just in stoppage time, they 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 got out the, uh, what we call in German, the Brechstange, the crowbar, and, and punt in a couple of crosses. And, you know, this Marlon cross attempt was just so <laughs> pathetic in the end. Um, yeah, it's, it's to, to me, this is what enrages me. You know, as, as a fan, you want to see a unit of players that, that fights for something. And uh, you, you said it yourself, the, the title, the DFB Pokal is probably the best shot they have. And they were just all willy-nilly about it. And to me, that's, that's not good enough. And we need to instill a much different culture. And before that does not happen, I don't think there's any hope for this team. I just don't, because, you know, against Freiburg, it was awesome. It was really fun to watch. But where is this against St. Pauli? Why can't it only be switched on for one game and then you lose it? Explain this to me. If you can. I can't. I don't have any explanations. No, and what's especially frustrating is that invariably when talking about this, you have to at some point come come to uh, the the term that isn't allowed in Dortmund, which starts with M and isn't Meisterschaft. Uh, it's mentality, and you know they 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 basically jump in your face uh, in Dortmund when you mention that word, and and they don't want to hear it, and they think it's all BS and whatever, but. I, I dare anyone to watch this this cup game and not think that this is a team that has a problematic mentality about the way they do their football business. I mean, when I when I watch a super talented, awesome player like Rafael Guerrero not track back despite being a left back in a four man defense, uh, when when he stands around with his hands on his hips, uh, I mean, how is that not a mentality issue? I mean. Obviously, we know that he's not necessarily a natural defender. Uh, I would also argue that Dortmund usually play with 11 non-natural defenders. Yeah, which even is more issue. reason to track back if you don't know you're not good at it. <laughs> at least try. Yeah, one one would assume that's the case. But not only that, I mean, we know that, you know, uh, Guerrero doesn't necessarily fulfill his defensive duties with the utmost diligence. But, uh, I mean couple that with his lack of attacking output in this game uh, the pinnacle of arrogance which was his uh, outside of the boot attempt which you know when it comes off I'm sure I'm waxing poetic about it for 30 minutes on this podcast so shame on me as well <laughs> but when it doesn't come off it seems incredibly arrogant and that's kind of summed up the entire performance of the team and I don't want to necessarily single out Guerrero, but I can because he's already blocked me on Twitter. He was <laughs> he was emblematic of everything that is wrong about Dortmund in these kinds of games. And and we've praised him often enough to now be able to criticize him harshly as well. And obviously he wasn't the only one. I mean, how Marco Reus got to play 90 minutes in this game, I will never know. Maybe Rose was scared of taking him off after the reaction Reus showed against Freiburg uh, after, what was it, 70 minutes or so? Uh, don't get me started on Axel Witzel just in general I mean there's a reason why he's not Rose's first choice at this point and Dahoud being out on top of Emojan really hurt Dortmund in this uh, uh, game because you know Witzel as a defensive midfielder in this scheme is just an issue waiting to happen and, and waited for exactly four minutes on, on Tuesday uh, Holland too many games like this where he doesn't look like the striker who uh, whom you know clubs are lining up to sign for 80 million plus half a billion in in wages and yeah, did you see his first touch in this game jesus christ the Trampoli. ball bounced like like mario gomez style bounced bounced further away from him than the pass was and and the the biggest issue is that all the players we are mentioning i mean it's not like They, they had Nico Schulzes and Felix Passlachs, who there's clearly a bit of a lack of ability uh, that, that has to be factored in. No, minus I mean, Witzel is are, probably our best starting 11. Yeah, we, we are talking about players that, in theory and often enough, they do uh, make the difference in a positive way for Dortmund. But when all of them have this kind of uh, performance in a 
de facto must-win game because obviously cup games are elimination games, so you have to win or I guess uh, make a draw and then win on penalties. But you know, you get my point. If if all of those guys have the same issues in such a game, once again I come back to the initial point. How do you not say this team has a problem problematic mentality? I mean, I again I, I dare anyone to watch this game and tell me that mentality isn't an issue for Dortmund and it has been for so long now that you know we can all remember games like Freiburg uh, a, a lot of games last uh, or second half of last season under Terzic where things were better but the the general trend and in, in, if you want to look at it in you know rolling 20 game instances or whatever I mean that they are stumbling from one of these instances into another with the occasional Uh, step forward sprinkle in so this is the full-on Dortmund experience and for the first time in, in I think 11 and a half years it bite them uh, a bit them in, in the cup against the lower league uh, a team and, and that's just not acceptable especially given uh, that the Bundesliga is basically over for them I mean they, they won't catch Bayern obviously and not with that mentality they aren't no <laughs> yeah that's not a question of mentality that's a question of yeah, Bayern being too good for this league Uh, they are also very hardly going to miss out on Champions League football just because the uh, opposition takes away points from each other every week now. Uh, they completely crept the bed in the Champions League. Europa League is uh, filled with pretty good teams this season. Um, not necessarily likely that they win that uh, uh, competition. So you were looking at the cup without Bayern in it. Uh, against the second division team to reach the round of the last eight. I mean, it's it's basically already on a silver platter and then that's the kind of performance you show against St. Pauli. I mean, you don't deserve any, any good things to come to you this season. No. And my question for you is, and I've, I've, I've heard a couple of whispers now, you know, what does this do to the image, what does this do to the image of Marco Rose? Because now, as you said, Dortmund did not survive their Champions League group and they are no longer in the cup. Um, where does Marco Rose fit into this equation? Because obviously when you talk about team mentality and the team not ready to fight and, you know, snoozing into a cup match uh, when, you know, a title is on the line, I think that obviously reflects poorly on the coach. You, you just, there's no way of, of it not doing. So how, how do you come down on that? I'm not saying yeah, I'm not here with my Rosa out, you know, sign just yet, but you know, it obviously does not help him. No, I mean the buck stops with the head coach in football, and uh, I think, um, given that now in I think it's 29 uh, official games under Rosa, they've uh, already missed out on two of their three objectives, which is make a deep run in the cup and survive in the Champions League. Uh, and the, the third objective, I guess, is make a run at the league title if Bayern give you an opportunity, which they aren't going to do, so fair enough. Uh, it's definitely not uh, a strong record so far. I think there are a number of uh, circumstances that we have to take into account. Uh, you know, the, the personnel situation, COVID games, uh, 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 problematic summer given you know European uh, championships and whatever but I, I, I honestly do think if this wasn't Rose's first season uh, there would definitely be much more of a discussion about his job security at this point because uh, as I said two of the three uh, ambitions for this club every season basically is survive in the Champions League and make a deep run in the cup and The, not only not making that, but also the, the manner of which uh, is, is just hugely problematic, as we talked about. I mean, you can you can talk about the Champions League being a little uh, a bit unlucky, but then again, they were drawn with Ajax and Sporting, uh, which, you know, isn't exactly murderous role in terms of European football. I mean, when, when the draw was made, I think a lot of people were talking about Dortmund having one of the luckier uh, uh, draws of, of, of this year's group stage uh, and then obviously I mean we are going on and on about how just how pathetic the, the cup exit was when that's the manner in which you exit uh, out of the two cup competitions that 
reflects incredibly poorly on on the entire coaching staff on top of the team. And as, again, if 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 there weren't so many circumstances that we need to take into account, and if this wasn't Rose's first year with uh, you know all the the circumstances that come with that in itself. I think there would definitely be discussions about removing him from his head coaching position because his record uh, is just not particularly impressive. I mean, uh, second in the Bundesliga with Leipzig struggles should be, uh, shouldn't be should be considered a massive achievement at this point of the season. You can argue that the points total is great, but actually their performances haven't been on par with their points total. So yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I think Stefan Bianchowski posted a graphic of expected points in Dortmund are at 35, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and I, that, that also passes the eye test. I mean, how, how often in the first half of the season did they uh, win games when people were making it out to be, you know, about great mentality and, and good teams only jump or good horses only jumping as high as they must, uh, as we say in German, uh, when, when in reality the performances were just poor and opposition didn't really punish them enough for it or they just had Haaland uh, or, or at, at times others just outscore, uh, you know, expectations. So I think the, again, the, the first game against Hoffenheim is a perfect example for that because Hoffenheim, I think, equalized in like the 90th minute, right? It was 2-2 and then in 91st minute Haaland just, you know, fires an absolute thunderbolt from close range to still win it but this this is the sort of game where I look at Dortmund and know well usually they don't really win this one and uh, you know the the way they conceded the goals also maybe they didn't quite deserve it and I, I feel like sometimes this this opens up the for, a form mentality sort of praise for Dortmund because yes it is great that they have avoided defeat or even won games uh, in, in uh, certain ways this season where they uh Arguably wouldn't have done so last season. You know, there were a lot of instances, you know, the Union Berlin game, for example, uh, they were also very lucky for that not to go out of their hands. Or the Cologne game, also a hugely undeserved uh, win. But, uh, you know, going down Tune away to Frankfurt, the way Dortmund did go down to Frankfurt, um, it's also alarming mentality-wise because the, the, the focus and the attitude just isn't there or you just don't uh, concede two goals in the, in the fashion they did, to be honest. And then in, in the end, to, to still win 3-2-2 two, two is great. But again, you know, you wouldn't be digging your own grave in the first place if uh, you were switched on for 90 minutes, which I would like to expect from this team. You know, it's it's really that there's also a discrepancy between Dortmund's squad and the talent they have versus, you know, a lot of the rest of the Bundesliga and it needs to show more often in my view. And I, I mean, <laughs> probably one of the worst losses in, in, in all aspects, be it mentality or, you know, just being a shit show was probably the way game to Hertha Berlin. And uh, I, I feel like we're we're just you know, running in the circle right now and I don't know where this is going because now we're going to Offenheim and I honestly can't tell you, Lars, what is next. And my assumption is that it's also not going to look really great. Maybe I'm I'm wrong, but fact of the matter is that Dortmund this season and I think that's also a mental thing when they go on the road are just pathetic. You know, if if you if you compare the home averages versus the away averages, you're not looking very good. At home, Dortmund are averaging 2.7 points. They score 3.1 goals, and they have an average xG of 2.02. And goals against 1.3, goals against xG 1.25. So remember that when I now tell you that on the rows, their score, their their points total. On average, is 1.44. They only score 1.76 goals, and uh, the goals against uh, is 1.77. So there's a huge increase. You know, I can also talk about the expected goals against and whatnot, but uh, you know, it's it, it's just such a daunting drop off that I'm sometimes wondering what happens when they climb into the team bus and fly or travel somewhere else, why can I not replicate it? Obviously, 
you would assume that a team playing in a stadium as impressive as the Westfalenstadion gains some sort of advantage from that. But still, I think that Borussia Dortmund on an away trip is just never really coming with the attitude that's needed to to be a, a really good and consistent team in the Bundesliga. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I mean, they, they lost on the road to Freiburg, to Gladbach, to Hertha, probably missing uh, Well, they dropped points defeat. in Bochum. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I mean, look at those numbers and then imagine that they also have to still go to Munich and get their annual uh, battering from Bayern in the Bundesliga uh, and it's get, it gets even more alarming um, also in you know now the, the cup exit at, at St. Pauli uh, Champions League pathetic at Ajax uh, losing the, the must win or must not lose I suppose game against Sporting uh, away from home so or I mean, must not lose by two goals <laughs> yeah yeah uh, <laughs> I mean, at some point, statistics speak for themselves. I mean, uh, I, I absolutely have no idea why uh, that is, because especially this season, I mean, how many away games did they play in front of, like, even near full capacity crowds? Like, couldn't have been many. Uh, at St. Pauli, it was 2,000, I think. Uh, at Bochum, they were... It seemed like they were quite impressed by, like, I think, 11,000 people. Yeah, it was 12, half capacity, I think, at that point. Which is which is half of what Dortmund can fit on the Südtribüne alone, the, the yellow wall. Um, I mean, I, there's, there's no logical explanation that I can come up with that would explain why they are so bad away from home, but... At some point, it's not just you know coincidence of a couple of games like early in the season. I can I can buy Dortmund being bad in in the way table after seven, eight, ten match days because that's that might just be coincidence and isn't statistically relevant necessarily. But we are now talking about uh, you know fourteen, fifteen goal, uh, games away from home this season, and I don't necessarily think I can come up with two or three of them that were really impressive. Uh, the only one that comes to my mind immediately would be the Besiktas game, but you know they were the worst team in the Champions League this season, I think, uh, statistically speaking. And was that really such a great game from Dortmund? Honestly, I don't think. I mean, it was certainly more impressive than most uh, away from home that I can think of. Yeah, because Dortmund don't win that often in the Champions League. Maybe that uh, it emotionally gives you something. <laughs> To latch onto that, oh, a road win in the Champions League, that just doesn't happen that often. But I don't know. I don't think it was that impressive. Especially, uh, I don't know, how, how bad Besiktas were in the end. <laughs> but yeah, also we forgot the, the road loss to Leipzig, where Dortmund were also absolute dog shit. See? So, yeah, it's... I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say, but this loss at St. Pauli was, to me, really devastating, especially after the Freiburg game. Because, as, as you said, they, they give you hope where you, where you know it's dangerous hope and you, you, your brain tells you do not, do not believe the lie. <laughs> and then you still swallow it. And then, whoops, we lost to St. Pauli. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it was just also so embarrassing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but you you would think that at, at least after this this really lucky penalty, um, that uh, there would be a more momentum swing. You know, two nil is as we all know a very dangerous lead, and so is for San Pauli. And you feel like there would come a bit more pressure, but there just was none. And uh, I mean, first of all. I, I still want to talk about the way we conceded goals <laughs> because <laughs> the first one, how many how many players did we have around uh oh god well Irvine I think was his name uh in in, in that build up from from San Pauli where it was like three against seven and still nothing. We you know Axel Witzel just marshalling but everyone around him too. That was just complete chaos and then not really well organized and uh, then having Akanji and Royce basically 
there to defend this is also something that needs to somehow still end better. Uh, I think Aminio was a bit lucky with his touches that he sort of stumbled it uh, just into his path, but but still, uh, I you know, that's one point I wanted to make. I feel like that Akanji, which to me isn't a big surprise, is obviously not in the form he was when uh, b before his meniscus surgery. And uh, I guess he will still need a couple of games, maybe weeks, months, I don't know how long un until he reaches that form again. But uh, until then, I think his timing is a little off and he's maybe not as physically imposing as he as he was before. So that's, I think, something we just have to factor in going forward. And, uh, you know, what was really good against Freiburg was that the counter-pressing was actually, you know, executed with a follow-through. And against San Pauli, it was just not. And if you look at the second goal that Dortmund conceded, which to me is even even worse than the first one, is Bellingham plays a pass that's being cut out. And there is just no reaction from the entire team. The entire midfield from Dortmund is just standing there with hands on the, on their hips, basically. You know, then Guerrero leaves his line... <laughs> <laughs> because Axel Witzel, who is our holding midfielder, is for some reason, I don't know why exactly, is in, in the back line at this moment in, in the build-up and he is uh, not a holding midfielder. So there's a whole gaping hole on the entire pitch where Sampoli can combine through. So Guerrero leaves his line and he just tries to win the ball, but he just jumps sort of past it. And then, you know, as you said before, he just stands there and, and watches it all unf unfold and... Uh, yeah, obviously it's then uh, Burgstaller who plays across that Wissel uh, dunks into his own net because of his lack of pace and positioning. And I think to an extent that's also bad luck, but you know, it's just metaphoric. So I'm not uh, surprised that I think Ruhnach said literally that there's no scenario in which uh, his contract will be extended. And uh, yeah, thank God, obviously that's the right decision. And I don't really want to harp on Witzel too much. Um, I think his time is just over at Dortmund and I think when he came in for the time he was a good transfer and it made sense because for Favre's style of play he was a good player, he brought some physicality to the Dortmund midfield, he needed uh, to bring some <laughs> some moments of zen with his passing back to Dortmund who were absolutely a chaotic clusterfuck at this moment. And he did all that, but right now I don't think uh, he is really helpful when he's on the field. I think, uh, on on the contrary, I think he's a total liability because you can't trust him at any moment to either make the right call to be aggressive enough uh, in the tackles or to to cover anyone really because uh, he is just so slow. So um, that's that's just uh, that. And then obviously on the offensive end, um, you had two genius balls to find Torgen Hazard one-on-one -on -one against the keeper and then again Marco Reus and both were fluffed and those are also the only two chances I really recall outside from that outside of the boot shot that Guerrero had and uh, yeah then it's already pretty slim you know Dortmund's combination play had a couple of good moments but for for the most game it, it was just that, that and then toward the end of the game you just want more energy from this team and it just wasn't there and my question to you is also do you think Rose should have reacted a little bit sooner to bring a player like Mokoko or Tigges or anyone because I think Mokoko was brought in the uh, I don't know close to stoppage time I mean obviously uh, I, I suppose uh, Mokoko still has physical problems um, the Missed training, I think, uh, in in the week uh, before the, the cup game at some point. Uh, very curiously, also didn't play against Freiburg, so clearly they don't think he's ready for too many minutes. But, I mean, I usually wouldn't necessarily propose bringing on Tigges and, and pumping long balls into the box, but everything else wasn't working either, so might as well try with another body up front. Uh, I mean, Tigges showed against Hertha, for example, that he does know how to head the ball. Um, given that Dortmund were chasing the game and not creating anything from open play, maybe bringing on just another body for uh, corners and, and free kicks would have helped. Um, and 
I mean, also, I, I, I said earlier, uh, I don't know how Marco Reus got to the 90th minute. Uh, I mean, he was, not only was he completely ineffective, but he was also spent physically. So I don't necessarily understand why keeping him on was preferred to either Mukoko being given the minutes, even if he doesn't necessarily make the most of them, given his physical set or just, you know, Tigges or, I mean... Dare I say, Renier couldn't have been much worse than Marco Reus in this game. <laughs> I mean, at least he would have been fresher. I mean, it, here, here are two things that I was pondering before the game, if I'm honest. And maybe the Rose coaching staff already has something that we call Betriebsblindheit. I don't know what the what term for it is, is in English, but basically you're, you're not really, you basically needs a fresh outside view. But I was wondering after watching the Freiburg game, how on earth can Marco Reus even start the game against San Pauli? Because he's clearly not in the physical shape right now to be effective for Dortmund. He is tired and you can see it. He needs a break and the San Pauli game would have been a good idea to, to rest him and then maybe bring him on later if necessary. And the other notion I have is how on earth do you play Axel Witzel at all? That That's something I was wondering when I saw the team sheet. Why is he on there? I'd rather put Bellingham on a number six and, uh, you know, then put another attacking option. Just start with Marlin too and, and Hazard together. That That's something I would have done. I still feel like this could have been uh, better for Dortmund to, to uh, you know, in order to avoid Axel Witzel to tweak the system a little bit and maybe also give Sampoli a different look of whatever they've seen before on videotape. That that just my my two cents, and I'm not even talking about hindsight because I I saw this one coming to be honest, and I must say now I think against Hoffenheim you would have to rest Royce. I if if it's up to me I would not play him because he's clearly tired, and you know Marco Royce is playing an awesome season, but he's also not the youngest anymore, and if he needs a break he needs a break, so that's. That are just my two cents. Anyway, do you do you want to talk about the Hoffenheim game and preview it a little? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna act like I'm an avid watcher of Hoffenheim's. Uh, I know that they had a very good run ahead of losing to Union, and then they were also kind of shellacked by Freiburg of all teams in the cup uh, on on Wednesday, but. I think Hoffenheim is one of these teams where you can throw a form out of the window and just assume that they are going to play Dortmund very hard because that's what they've done over the last few years. Um, going back to Markus Gistol days, uh, then obviously under Nagelsmann uh, and, and now under Sebastian Hoeneß, you already mentioned the uh, first meeting of the two teams this season uh, with the lucky escape by Dortmund after throwing away a lead, which is kind of the pattern against Hoffenheim in the last few years. Um, yeah, away from home, pretty good opposition. Uh, a lot of uh, decent attacking talent in the team. Uh, thinking of Ilas Bebu, who's going to run rings around Dortmund's defense just in terms of pace. Uh, Jorginho Rutter, one of the best young attacking players in the Bundesliga this season, just extended his contract, I think. Uh, David Raum going to... Uh, whipping crosses from the left so I am definitely not expecting uh, three points uh, for Dortmund as a matter of fact I would assume that if you offered them a one-all draw uh, they would have to take that in sprint right now because obviously uh, given the disappointment of midweek I guess for both teams but Dortmund definitely expected more of the cup this season than Hoffenheim uh, and also given that Dortmund had to chase uh, a two-goal deficit in two of the three games this, uh, this this calendar year. I think Hoffenheim should have the the edge in terms of you know energy levels. And you already mentioned Reus looking tired for some reason after winter break. Um, yeah, I I'm definitely not optimistic going into this game. I mean, you you mentioned it. Dortmund have conceded two goals. On average now in the last two road games. If you add the Hertha game, it's even above two. So that's not a great development. Um, Hoffenheim, on the other hand, they have a 9-4-6 record in the Bundesliga. They have 31 points. 
So they're sitting in fourth, but uh, I went to the good old Tabellenrechner and uh, realistically they could plummet down all the way to eighth place if Dortmund blow them out and Frankfurt blow up Bielefeld, sort of. <laughs> uh, so it's obviously very tight for them and uh, there's more pressure on them <laughs> given that they also maybe want to play in the Champions League, who knows. Um so there's that. Their home record uh, from the nine wins I just talked about, uh, six of them came at home. They have two draws at home and one loss. They have 20 points out of those 31 points at home. Obviously, yeah, uh, the 4-1 uh, loss against Freiburg was also very pathetic from, from Hoffenheim. I watched that game yesterday. Um, but you're right. Uh, Ilas Bibu is their leading scorer with seven goals. And uh, he... I, 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 I assume will obli obliterate Dortmund with his pace as, as you know, he always does. Then, you know, you can ask questions about Andre Kramaric's form this season because, uh, you know, he is struggling. I think uh, this season his uh, goals per 90 average is 0.12. If you compare it with the last four seasons, it was 0.43, then 0.64, then 0.76 twice and then from the 0.76 you drop to 0.12 I don't know but he has a career high uh, when it comes to assists I think he has uh, 7 assists or so and uh, 0.43 per 90 so that's that's still uh, meaning his goals and assist contribution is down from 0.96 which was impressive to 0.55 so um, but the problem is he has scored 7 goals in 9 career games against Dortmund so um, I assume to that he is going to be a pain against Dortmund as well, and obviously uh, the players you just mentioned, Jorginho Rutter, is uh, is really good. He has four goals, two assists, and uh, the per ninety goals plus assists stats. He is the second best minus uh, uh, behind Dabur. So you know, I'm I'm really not looking forward to this game, and I also do wonder, just as you said, uh, how dangerous the David Raum crosses really are because if you think back to the Frankfurt game I think uh, one praise that can be leveled at Dortmund is that uh, they have contained Kostic relatively well but uh, who knows how they're going to handle David Raum um, Lars if you could take the 25 million that Dortmund spent on Nico Schulz and spend them on David Raum right now would you do it? Well, first of all, they didn't contain Kostic whatsoever, in my opinion, but that's, I guess, a little after the fact and beside the point. Well, I thought they, um, they did, because I watched all the Frankfurt games beforehand and he was much more of a menace against all the previous teams than in, in, against Dortmund. He was still having his moments against Dortmund, certainly, but I think in, in terms of containment compared to other teams, Dortmund did a better job. My point. Well, congrats to Dortmund then. Um, <laughs> would I pay 25 million for David Raum? Uh, I'm not necessarily in favor of paying 25 million for defensive players in general, because that seems like an inefficient uh, market uh, evaluation. Um, I would definitely rather spend 25 million on David Raum than on Nico Schulz, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, no, generally speaking, just in terms of positional value, a left-back shouldn't cost you 25 million. And just because Nico Schulz did, that doesn't uh, justify such an expense. But he's definitely a good player. Uh, very questionable tattoo choices, in my opinion. <laughs> so that's that's obviously very important in modern football. Um, but yeah, I mean... This is one of those cases where a player from the second division was available on the free and the question was which Bundesliga team would get him. He went to Hoffenheim. He's going to extend his contract now, uh, has been reported, but will presumably get, an, uh, get a buyout option and he's not going to stay at Hoffenheim beyond, let's say, 2023. 20, so uh, presumably already out of Dortmund's reach, I would say. Yeah, I don't. I don't know yet. I've I've to see more of him to to be honest. If I would even say Dortmund should take interest in him or not, because I personally haven't seen enough. But uh, yeah, the stats are certainly interesting. But uh, he is also lacking a little bit in the defensive department. I might add. So maybe 
just maybe Dortmund need to focus a little bit more on uh, other uh, attributes at the moment when they are looking for a left back. So just saying that, um, yeah, the, I think the one good news is that today Dahoud was back in training after overcoming some sort of back pain. And uh, that's uh, that's about it, right? I mean, the good news also is that there are, as, as point of this recording, there are no new injuries. Um, obviously, players are always carrying knocks around. I think uh, Meunier got a knock against uh, Freiburg where he twisted his ankle first and then uh, someone also stepped on it, but he, he at least played against St. Pauli. So there's that. So I assume we will probably see the same starting eleven that uh, started against uh, Freiburg, maybe Hazard in for Malen. But uh, um, yeah, if, if I had to make a prediction, I think that uh, there are not going to be that many changes. I mean, Akanji has to start for Jan. Right. Yeah. Obviously. Which wasn't the case at Freiburg. But other than that, yeah, I mean, the, most of them select themselves. That's the issue. I mean, <laughs> it's not like Dortmund had, you know, huge personnel problems in the last uh, uh, week or so. I mean, obviously, the hood was massive. And Chan, in terms of not having him or the hood, so Witzel had to play. But, you know, it's it's not like, as you said earlier, this was some sort of B team in the cup that they stumbled over. I mean, uh, largely... Uh, first choices all around so I guess if you want to put a positive spin on it it's going to be largely the same personnel getting the opportunity to make amends for uh, what happened on Tuesday with uh, the obvious exception one would think of Witzel who's going to be replaced by Dahoud um, his back problems don't seem to be too dramatic from what one hears uh, out of Dortmund um, obviously being in team training on Thursday for a Saturday game usually bodes well, so expecting him to be there. And then uh, the 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 question, I suppose, is Marlon versus Azar. Uh, I think Marlon probably offers a bit more at this point. Also, Hazard just doesn't seem right physically to me. He's, he looks very slow these days um, obviously he's had a lot of injuries over the last few months so maybe he needs to get fully back to to you know playing speed or whatever but then when when Marlon or while Marlon does look better in that regard he also still has so many instances where he can't beat the first man where decision making lets him down a little bit but I suppose that's just something you need to take uh, with a first year player coming into a team that clearly isn't functioning on our cylinders as you would have liked so I guess I would personally say Marlin deserves to start over Hazard but uh, doesn't necessarily uh, seem to me like that's a make or break kind of situation or, or decision to make yeah I'm I'm glad that after the Hoffenheim game there's a mental or, or a break I was just going to say for me it's going to be a bit like a mental break because the next game will be uh, on the 6th of February, uh, a Sunday game against Bayer Leverkusen um, at home, which uh, is also going to be an interesting one, let's put it this way, because uh, Leverkusen themselves uh, have struggled uh, big time uh, this this season so far. And uh, yeah, so at least then, according to Rose, which is why I'm bringing this up, uh, I think we can finally um, hope for a return of Giorena because I'm... I'm really waiting for him to return, just like everyone else, because I do think he's going to add something. Uh, if I remember correctly, and I haven't looked this up, so I might be wrong, but I think he actually scored in the uh, reverse fixture against Hoffenheim. So my hope is that uh, against Leverkusen, uh, he will at least be in the squad and uh, come in on a sub, and then hopefully over the next uh, one or two months, finds back to some form. But, you know, that's going to be a wild card too, considering <laughs> how long he's been out for. Um, so yeah, I just hope no one picks up uh, any more injuries uh, for the time being because Dortmund have been ravaged enough and maybe somehow they can keep it together. Um, there, there are a couple of transfer talk items we still need to discuss, but uh, before we do that, real quick, uh, Lars, a prediction for the Hoffenheim game? 3-2 to Hoffenheim. Okay, I'm going with a 2-all draw. 
So, um, yeah, obviously we still have to talk about the uh, post-game interview from Erling Haaland to Viaplay, where he uh, basically told Jan Agafjotov that uh, Dortmund are putting him under pressure and that he would rather like to just play football and not make a decision now. Um, what are you making of this, real quick? Maybe I should mention um, that, that he also said that out of respect for Dortmund, uh, he didn't... Uh, say anything un until this point, but now I think the respect is gone or <laughs> whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I would just remind Erling Haaland that he chose Minu Raiola as his agent, and Raiola has spent the last few months, at least from what we gather in German media, exclusively speaking out about this one client of his, despite having a lot more than that. Um mentioning clubs by name which could sign Holland, which is an absolute no-go and then uh, uh, going back and saying that those were just examples but uh, I mean the the first uh, news item is always more in the foreground than the retraction if that makes sense um, but I also don't think this is necessarily a huge issue I think despite the cup game and his Uh, poor performance on top of everyone else's. Um, if there's a player in Dortmund who can block out outside noises and, and all that stuff, it's probably Holland and teammates would still love to play with him and he's going to still score a lot of goals and, and try his best most of the time, which is something I guess we can't say for everyone. So while it would have been better to not give this interview, especially because... Uh, it, it just feels staged when you do it with a Norwe Norwegian TV station and a former teammate of your father's as the reporter, which isn't to take away from, from Fjordhoff, who got a very good interview, which got a lot of traction internationally. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a huge issue. So, uh, and, and I definitely also don't think that you know, Dortmund did anything wrong if they said, you know, we need a decision relatively soon, because quite obviously they do. Um, in the release clause or gentleman's agreement or whatever they have with Holland, which still isn't necessarily something we definitely know about. Uh, there will be uh, some sort of time aspect until which point Holland can, can activate the clause or the agreement or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, if that's late April, which wouldn't be unusual for Bundesliga contracts, that's already too late for Dortmund to have to look for a number one striker and goal scorer next season. Um, so it's only natural that they want a decision as soon as Haaland feels comfortable making it. I think it's pretty clear that he's going in the summer if he gets the, the kind of offers that he wants. Um, I would presume that's for him it would probably be between Real Madrid Barcelona and Man City but that's just my my speculation or slightly slightly educated guess I guess um, but yeah I, I don't think he wants to say necessarily but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised myself if the opportunity to leave wouldn't present itself in the way that he anticipated um, obviously nobody thought that we get another full year of COVID and, and empty stadia uh, and in some leagues anyway and a lot of uh, missed out revenue for the big clubs so maybe there's an uh, an opportunity for Dortmund to keep him around for one more year and uh, despite being pressured into an early decision and, and uh, whatever I think Holland is gladly going to sign a contract extension at Dortmund if that comes uh, to be that gives him a 100% markup on wages for one season. I don't think that's like a terrible, terrible fate for a player to endure at the age of uh, then 22 or 21. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. To me, <laughs> maybe I'm just uh, uh, too disillusioned about these things. But to me, it was more of a ploy between, I think, uh, Sport1 even reported that Fjordhoff before the interview talked to like Team Haaland in the stands or whatnot. And, uh, you know, obviously the headlines, especially in Germany, were like Haaland criticizes Dortmund about being pressured or whatnot. But uh, to me, it was like, uh, oh, Dortmund is pressuring me. So uh, I don't want to make a decision now, but I, I feel like I have to make a decision now. Hint, hint, hint. 
so that that's w what it was to me is like yeah uh okay everyone bringing bring your office now because mr erling Haaland is going to decide soon where he will land so uh i don't know to me that was more of the of a of a public signal to other clubs to to get their shit together if you will i don't know maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it and there's uh, no such thing but uh that's at least how I how I am reading it for now. Anyway, let's move on because uh, you know we have just breached the one hour mark. Uh, quick update: Ansgar Knauf joined Eintracht Frankfurt today on loan until the end of the 2022-23 season. So one and a half uh, year loan for him. Obviously, uh, your colleague uh, Benny Hoffman has reported that he will also extend his contract with BVB until 2020 what did i say hofmann Hein heinrich yes benny heinrich ah. see i even wrote it down sorry benjamin <laughs> benny heinrich uh reported that uh he will extend his contract until 2024 and uh that there is no buy option um i think considering the amount of playing time he got or didn't get uh, ever since he played a decent champions league quarterfinal against manchester city um this is a decent move because I think Eintracht Frankfurt have some need uh, on the position he plays, especially because Frankfurt do have, in my opinion at least, a bit of a lack of pace up front and he could help them with that. I don't know if he's going to be a regular, probably not, but at least uh, I hope and assume he will get more playing time there and uh, yeah, if his de development in Dortmund is stagnating because he's not getting playing time. That's the right move. Lars, do you have any other option, uh, opinion? <laughs> I mean, I would be surprised if Knauf ever developed into a, a massive factor for Dortmund. So I'm not opposed to him spending one and a half years away to further hone his craft and maybe surprise me. I think Frankfurt is probably at too high a level for a guy with very little experience to make an immediate impact. Um, so uh, maybe that's why it's uh, or, uh, it's 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 an one and a half year loan, so he can get acclimatized for six months or five months, and then have a full summer uh, to to break into the the team more. But I just from what I've seen uh, of Knauf's, I just don't think he's you know a talent of the highest echelon. So. Uh, I've, I I don't think it would be the worst of things if uh, Frankfurt had had a, a Knauf option uh, for the huh. player. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right. So and yeah, I'm 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 about the one thousandth person to make that joke, which only works in German today. So I apologize <laughs> for that. Well, the good news for you is uh, I haven't read it anywhere yet because I wasn't really on that much online today. So um, yeah, I'm. I'm liking it <laughs> since it was the first time I've heard it and I did not think of it myself. So uh, there you go. Um, also, I don't know, non-news of the week is I think Sportbild said that next to Witzel also Ranier and Pongracic will not have their contracts extended and they will leave after the summer. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> Duh. So um, yeah, this is I think all the transfer talk slash news we have for this week because... I've not seen any other semi-credible rumors. Roman Bürki is still training in Dortmund in Trainingsgruppe B Urki. And uh, yeah, that that's that pretty much sums it all up. So yeah. Anyway, I I guess uh, we can also knock it on the head now at last. It was uh, a pleasure talking to you, but it was not a pleasure talking about Borussia Dortmund this week, I'm afraid. Uh, I hope that we can uh, have a bit of a better spirit after the Hoffenheim game because um, still after all this happened, I really want Dortmund to beat Hoffenheim because A, I really dislike Hoffenheim for obvious reasons and B, just wanted to get us in here real quick. I'm very glad that Freiburg took away the opportunity of having a Leipzig versus Hoffenheim Cup Final. I'm very glad for that. So thank you, Freiburg. And uh, yeah, hopefully... Uh, that did not spur Hoffenheim to a masterclass performance now this Saturday. Really hope uh, that uh, it's more of a momentum breaker for them on top of the loss against Union Berlin. So there's that. 
Anyway, Lars, I just wanted to squeeze this in there. Uh, where can people follow you on the Twitter? Everyone who wants to knows already. Okay. You can follow me at Stefan Botsko. You can follow all of us at Yellow Warpod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to support this podcast financially, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. If you want to subscribe, go to the yellow wall net and find all the options there which include soundcloud itunes stitcher youtube spotify etc and uh, yeah that's all from us for this week uh, as always thank you for listening and goodbye